Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We have a guest this week that uh, you're familiar with. We want to talk about real estate, and we specifically want to talk about houses and condos that you may be considering selling at this stage. You may be considering moving into a different, smaller place often, maybe in some sort of communal living arrangement. So we know that the real estate market is something that is important to you. And there's been so much in the news about real estate lately. Oh, my goodness. And it appears to be in such flux. And we've had this crazy increase in prices the last couple of years. So we thought that that it would be of value to you if we had somebody on to talk about real estate. And so who better to have on than this person that Jill's going to better introduce? That would be Ted Gottlieb, and we're so glad you could come back and join us. Now, Ted is a certified senior advisor, a realtor, and most importantly, the founder of Senior Learning Institute. That's correct. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me back. Appreciate it. Well, so it's it's not easy to find somebody that's uh, in the real estate business um, that is a realtor and also that specifically is involved with people who are older buyers and sellers. So so that kind of fits the format for our program. So I think that's the reason you've been popular on this show. Let me let me at least start by asking you about about what you've witnessed in the last two years. I mean, I've I don't know that I remember a time when I've seen prices do what they've done in the last twenty four months, just up, up, up. Yeah, it's a little crazy in regard to what we've seen. You know, all real estate's local, so in the in the local marketplace, things have gone up. Uh, I'd say on average fourteen, fifteen percent over the last couple of years. I, I think that's starting to slow at this point. A lot of people are concerned whether there was a bubble here or not. Uh, we all don't think that there was a bubble. I think the the, the reason was strictly supply and demand. But um, other markets, uh, I think they might see a little bit more of a decrease than what we're going to see here. I don't think we're going to see decreases in pricing. I just, I think we're going to see a little bit of a decrease in um, acceleration of value over a period of time. I think it should settle down a little bit. Now. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. It it's hard to it it's hard to have a bubble when you've never really had the sort of crazy increases that you've seen in some markets. We have some uh, property in Naples, and I can tell you that Florida has, I mean, it, you say 14, 15% here. Florida's been 30% wow. a, year, a year. 30. Really? And, and at least Naples area was 30%. It was, it was like the second or third fastest uh, rate of, of appreciation of cities in the country for a while. But, but what I like about St. Louis is it appears to be pretty steady. So it it has appreciated, as you say, but it's not at such a level that you have to tremble at the thought that it's gotten so high it's got to tumble. Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you are. I don't think it's going to tumble. I think we're going to stay pretty much where we are. We'll see a slower growth, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about where we are right now. What's what's hurting more at this point are, are interest rates because what we're finding is that some buyers are now no longer able to afford what they were able to afford. I've got one client right now. It's taken two years to build a home, Okay, which is – Completely uh, baffling to begin with, yeah. but you know they were looking at an interest rate of you know right around two and a quarter to two and a half percent with the loan that they were looking at now. Now it's probably at least two points higher than that. So that house that they bought and put you know are spending a decent amount of money on has gotten a whole lot more expensive. So wow. that's going to hurt some people. And so some of the um, buyers who are depending on getting a mortgage are stepping back. Reevaluating, hoping their interest rates come down, or hoping that values come down, but which is a, a good buying opportunity for those folks who who don't have to be as concerned with that, or or who are paying cash. Yeah, yeah, I, I and I ha- I know some people who are sitting on the sidelines thinking that prices are going to come down. Um, it in St. Louis area, it just doesn't make sense to me that they would they would come down much. And, and, you know, many people think that these interest rates right now are something that's historically high when in reality they're – I think I've read that the historical number is closer to 5% over like a 30- or 40-year period. 
So the anomaly was we went through this 10-year period where they were artificially low because of Fed policy. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, you have folks that uh, are still living in homes that paid 17, 18% interest rates. And uh, a lot of the younger folks and the younger buyers out there are, are a little bit spoiled in regard to what they had seen in the past and, right. and have these expectations. But this is more realistic. So in the St. Louis market, if somebody lists a home, uh, about how long are they sitting on the market now? Depends on location. I mean, each each area. I mean, we're able to pinpoint through the through the analytics that we have each individual zip code, and and oftentimes we we bring it down to the individual subdivision. A level market is considered to be about six months worth of inventory. We that's been, normal. That's normal. That's a, neither a buyer's market or a seller's market. Uh, I've got some some markets right now. I was looking at some uh, just the other day. There was less than a half a month supply. And others uh, have been three percent, you know, three three months or four months, but but nothing has been close to a level market yet. Everything below seen. six months. Everything that I've been looking yeah. at. Right. Yeah, I'm sure Most. you can find an anomaly here or there, but I'd sure. say on general, it's still a seller's market. But I think sellers also have, also have to adjust their expectations. I've had a couple listings recently where the sellers have thought that the home value is is more than what I predicted it to be, and that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. But when you try to have the conversation about why that. That is, um, not everybody wants to hear about it. So oftentimes we find out the hard way by the house sitting on the market for that, a long uh, time. that we didn't price it right. And we end up selling it for less than what we would have had we priced it appropriately to begin with. So a lot goes into that number in regard to what we sell it for. And it's it's not just what the neighbor's house sold for because they may have a finished basement and you may not. Uh, the finishes may be different. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons as to why just because you have an extra couple hundred square feet or a, a, a slightly bigger um, lot doesn't necessarily mean that your property is worth more than the one that just recently sold or it is under contract. On the condition and it's a lot that goes into it mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. So uh, what what impact have these online sources had? You know, we know that there have been billions of dollars poured into some major websites who had in various ways are invading, for lack of a better word, the residential market. Uh, Zillow, of course, you know they they spectacularly, I think, failed in in their business model. But there's there's Open Door, there's Red, is it Redfin? Well, Redfin is out there as well. They're a you know they're an organization that is basically broadcasting what properties that are out there. I don't follow their model very much, and I've saw a little bit of what of what Zillow did. Uh, Open Doors out there as well. So you know, a lot of these companies are going out and they're making offers on properties sight unseen. Um, oftentimes, once they see it, if they do inspections, and they may come back and try to renegotiate it or not, depending upon the condition that it's in. Um, they're making offers that are very attractive at times without a real estate agent involved. So uh, I don't know that I'm a big fan of that because I think everyone should have representation. I agree. I think there's a lot of value in that. But a lot of these uh, companies have bought up some property. I think at times have overpaid for them. And and not everyone's doing well in regard to seeing those property appreciate. I think a lot of them have lost value. And I don't, don't know that it's a business model that I, that I would want to be involved in. Well, for those who aren't familiar with, with what Zillow did, Zillow's idea was that they could come up with what – we'd call an algorithm, a set of steps that would um, identify the proximate value of a house and that that would only require even just a satellite photo. I don't even think they had to do a drive-by. Sounds crazy, but they they thought that they could do that and buy houses um, a little bit below market with the intention of, you know, of not making a lot on the house, unlike a traditional a uh, wholesale buyer, which we'll talk about in a minute. Those are the people who come by and say, "We'll take your house as is," and and you make a big concession in your price in order to get that cash, you know, in your hand immediately. Well, Zillow was somewhere well north of that, where they were paying below a little bit below retail was their theory. Not necessarily shopping great bargains. Their attitude was. You know, we can sell it quickly, make a few bucks in financing and some other things, but we'll do such volume, that's where we'll make our money. So actually the people, the thousands of people who sold homes to Zillow actually probably did make money because I think that they sold them above market. So Zillow ended up losing hundreds of millions of dollars 
in buying thousands of these houses before they realized that their formula was wrong and that they were overpaying for these houses and they couldn't sell them for what they thought. And then, um, is it what was it's it? Open door and there's open offer door. pad and there's a oh, offer pad is the one I was thinking of. Offer pad uh, still is doing some of that, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. They they go in and they buy the house. There's not a realtor involved in their uh, in their approach, right? Correct. So they made an offer on my house. They reached out um, and just unsolicited gave me an offer on my house. I didn't respond to it. Then they increased the offer. Then they increased it again to the point where it was sounded really, really nice. And had I told my wife, she probably would have forced us to, <laughs> to sell the house. I'm glad I didn't tell her until after the fact, right? Because where would we have gone? That's the other thing. You've got to sell. Where are you going to go? I right. can make someone homeless really, really quickly. So after the market corrected a little bit um, in regard to interest rates, OfferPad came back and they were offering substantially lower than what they had offered me just a month or two b- before because I think they also realized that their algorithm might have been a little bit off too. So yeah, and so um, these these companies though, there was such a search for what you call search for yield, meaning people who have money in America that were desperate to be able to earn something other than 2% that was available in traditional conservative investments like CDs and whatnot. So all this money goes into these these SPACs and these these various funds, and these companies are have are washed with cash, and they're looking for ways to invest it. So several of them enter the real estate industry. Blackstone is the largest holder of real estate in America, residential houses. I mean, they own tens of thousands of houses. It's amazing and. And so these these companies we're talking about were an option, and some of you may have been approached by Zillow or Redfin still out there. Is Redfin mainly now just reporting information? Is that how they're making their money? Zillow's back to doing that. So those of you who use Zillow, you know what Zillow is. Well, they're back to focusing on that. I don't. They're out of the house buying business, but for a while they were a big competitor for realtors, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. I think, I think the real estate industry is really worried. You know, are these these large internet companies going to put us out of business. And that was their intention. Sure. Was well, Zillow had it really, really sweet in the fact that they they got real estate agents dependent upon them for lead generation. They so still people, do, right? Yeah, paying, we know people that are spending tens of thousands of dollars a year trying to get leads from Zillow, uh, where Zillow is just basically taking the information that's uh, in public domain anyway, promoting it, and yeah. then selling them back as leads. Explain that, because I, I, I bet... I bet 70% of the people watching us check prices on Zillow. Explain to them how that works. When they see a realtor's name, I would have normally thought that that name listing there on Zillow was the person who had the listing of the property, was the listing agent. No, typically the way I see it now, and I don't pay too much attention to them because I just uh, oh, I would just get caught it. up. I would just caught, get caught up in it. And at one point in my career, I did spend some money on lead generation from Zillow. But the way I understand it now is that Zillow now has their own agents, and they're taking the listings that are on the multiple listing service, which is populated everywhere. All the real estate agents basically list on this server of sorts, and everybody gets to see all everyone else's listing. And then there's cooperation between the brokers in regard to commissions and things along those lines. So we're all advertising. Zillow is getting up all that information. They're reposting it on their syndicated websites, trying to attract potential buyers of those. And then if you click on a button that basically says, I'm interested in this property, if I understand it correctly, their agent now is contacting you contacting to try you. to right. help you purchase that and, home. And if that's not correct, it's it's still no better. It's the person – it was recently the, the person who pays for that lead. Right. So uh, the original plan was Zillow was going to have their own people take calls and quit hiring real, – realtors would be full-time employees of Zillow. But I think that they had to back off of that plan whenever they failed in their acquisitions. But I'm not sure about that. But but if they're not doing that, then don't think that the person who's listed there is the listing agent. Right. There's agents that will pay organizations like that fees. Thousands of dollars could be a month or more to get advertised as the top three agents that pop up. But if you go to the bottom of the listing on Zillow, if it's for St. Louis at the very bottom, 
It'll say Maris, which is the multiple listing service that we use here in the St. Louis area. And then it will have the MLS number on there. And then it will also have the brokerage's name, not the listing agent per se, but the brokerage's name as to who the broker is that owns that particular um, listing. So it may say more realtors at the bottom, but the three agents that are showing up on top, which you would think one of them might be the listing agent, maybe with ABC broker and, and, and EFG brokerage and whatever it might be. Might be so. It's it's a little deceiving, but if you click on that, so what will happen is if you click on that, then that agent will contact you and maybe you know, a little bit more persistently than you would like to try to help you because they're trying to pick up clients. They're looking for buyers. They're looking for listings, and that's one way that they go ahead and do that. So I think a lot of the funding that the real estate agents have done over the years has often has helped fund their effort now of of trying to bypass us. It's very interesting. The the brokerage where I am working now, and and Dennis Norman and John. Williams, what Dennis has been talking about um, Zillow since they first came out about how we didn't want to pay for advertising there because he saw what was coming mm-hmm. almost, you know, almost 20 years ago. Right. So it's it's interesting in terms of how they've done it. Um, but I think no matter how you look at it, it, someone who's selling a house today or buying a house today should be represented, should have a local experienced real estate agent helping them. And, and Ted, you, we know, are not a fan of selling a home as is. Was that a rhetorical question? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait now. That, what, what you're saying is he's not a fan of selling to the wholesale buyers. Is that is that a better way to well, say it? Well, just selling your home as is well, to anyone. No, I think selling as is. Or is, to an investor. Yeah, selling as is. There's two ways of selling as is from the way I, I, I see it. There's selling it as is to a investor, a speculator, someone who's trying to buy the home for below market value, I'll say well below market value. Yes. Um, and then they're selling it as is to a consumer, someone who's going to be an owner-occupant, someone who's going to live there that will probably pay less than full retail for the house, knowing that it's being sold without any updates in certain areas. I mean, part of the house may be updated, but the kitchen and bath may not be. So it may be a structurally sound, very fine property, but it's a little bit dated. That person may, instead of spending $100,000 for that house, may end up spending $75,000 for that house and fixing it up over a period of time. So what that does is it puts... And ends up putting more money in the pocket of the seller of the house when you're able to sell it to a owner-occupant versus selling it to an investor right. who oftentimes will flip it, do nothing to it, sell it to somebody else. And then you find that you might have left 5000 10000 20000 $50,000 on the table that you could have had had you gone about it a different way. The investor mentality is one of, and, and uh, we've talked about this before. A lot of the investors that I know are very, very nice people. The investors that I tend to refer to in that rare opportunity when we're going to try to sell it to an investor, and we can talk about why we'd want to do that. But the ones that I refer to are licensed real estate agents, and I believe in working with licensed real estate agents because you know at least there's a minimum bar in regard yeah, right. to um, a code of ethics, some accountability, and and, and education. So I, th- I think that's the minimum standard that I would want to do if I were selling a house as is. So that's the only folks that I refer to. And I have three or four that I've known throughout the years, companies that have been around a while that are multi-generational. Grandpa started it. You know, and now the great grandson's in it, and uh, they buy for cash, and they buy it quickly, and they close relatively quickly. Most of these folks, if you pick the right one, if they say they're going to close, they'll close. You've got others who will potentially shop your listing, shop that contract, and try to assign it to somebody else. And if for some reason they can't find somebody, they could terminate the deal. They have that option within the contract. Yeah, let's clarify that too because – I want to be sure that that it's clear. And it is hard to define these categories, and we don't want to criticize, you know, too broadly. However, there is a species uh, or a category of people who invest in real estate that bottom feed. And their counterpart might be if if you think of your typical pawn shop. Yeah, I don't want to pick on People who own pawn shops, I'm sure there's there's some nice people and whatnot. But for the most part, their goal is to give you as little as possible for something that's as valuable as possible right. to them. I mean, that's their goal. And if and if you if you bring in a ten thousand dollar 
ring and and they they think that they can get that from you, we'll assume they're buying it rather than actually pawning it, which the most of their business is buying incidentally rather than pawning, though they're called pawn shops. But anyway, if they can if they can could could get you to take a thousand dollars for that or or five hundred, I mean that's what they do. That's that's kind of what they're they're pal- you're their prey. And uh, I won't say it's unethical because in the sense that you're an adult and, and they're not stealing from you, so it's not a crime. Because you're agreeing to it. Yeah, it's not a crime. So I don't want to be too harsh on these people, but that's my perspective regarding uh, some of the people, a lot of the people who are in the, the traditional business of, of wholesaling, meaning like you're describing, buying the house as is, and, and they want to walk in and walk away with the best deal they can, and they're going to have no compunction. If they, if they can get you to take 20% of the value of that house, of its value as is, then they, they dance home. That's a win for them. Uh, believe it or not, not every business person does business that way. You might think, well, everybody wants to do that. That's not true. Most people don't design a business plan around getting people to sell them stuff for a tiny fraction of their price. So um, I know that I'm offending. Uh, some people could say many things in defense of people who are in that industry, and I won't say that they're all bad, but I'm kind of like you. I, I know some of the people in business, and I never felt I never felt like there are people that I was comfortable with. But, but their model's been disrupted a lot. I mean, there was no – yeah, there was an Internet in the year – 2000. But as a practical matter, the internet was not a problem. You know, they they didn't know most people, your average seller couldn't go online and look at things. So, and not to mention there weren't online buyers. So I I wondered what was going to happen to these guys who lurked around in that business. And they show, these same people show up at foreclosure sales at the courthouse. Many of them do. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, they're looking for someone to sell the home for as little as possible and then flip it to somebody else and make money off it. The frustrating part is that sometimes they're, they're oftentimes educating some of these speculators as to how to. Um, take advantage of situations, especially when it comes to the older adults and their families, that sense of urgency to sell the house because mom now needs to go to a senior living community and doesn't have a lot of cash and and they want to get her there quickly and they need an entrance fee and so on and so forth. These are people who need cash. Yeah, so there's a motivation there to do it quickly. So a lot of times these investors will say, we'll pay cash, we'll close quickly, you can leave what you want, it sounds wonderful. And there is a, that, that is a service, and there's something to it. And they should it. get a discount. Right, there's something yeah. to that. There's no question about it. But if that money is so important for mom's care or mom's legacy, then you want to make sure that you get as much as you can for it because if that person does not have a long-term care insurance policy, doesn't have a lot of liquid cash and all their equities tied up in their home, and if I can put twenty thousand, thirty thousand, or more thousand dollars in their pocket, then I'm helping them extend their stay in that independent that living, yeah. assisted living sure. community, right? Versus having to then go to a skilled facility uh, and maybe having to go onto Medicaid and doing all those things that are not so exciting. I know I wouldn't want that. It's like it's like me having a baseball card collection that I've worked years and years to build since I was a kid. Uh huh. And I'm getting to the point where, let's say I pass away and my kids come into the house and they see the baseball card collection. They don't know what its worth is or they want it so quickly and just be done with it because we've got so much going on. We're mourning. We're getting rid of all the stuff. Maybe we're in probate. We don't want to mess with it. We're out of town. Let's just dump it. Okay, so not, not not even have the emotion to think about how I would feel about that after having so much pride in that and my 30, 40, 50, 60 years of building that nest egg that could, could, that could help pay for my care and help maybe pay for my grandkids' education, mm-hmm. whatever that's going to be, just to let that go. Whether it's by design or just out of convenience, um, there's something to be said for looking at it from that perspective. So I, I kind of equate that to the house. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad have spent all this time and money and, and memories in this particular property. Let's provide them a level of respect that they deserve and their efforts did. Whether they're going to benefit or I'm going to benefit, let's not just leave that on the table out of just out of common decency. Respect. And that's, for yeah. Your, and and yeah. they're – 
incidentally, you you tell that so eloquently, it makes me ask you: Do you have a baseball card collection? I do, <laughs> I do, but it's not that great. But I've got an you got to bring it in the but next I've time. I've got an we autograph collection, it. and some of them are cherished to me. Sure. I mean, when I was, I got my three Stooges. I'll have to share them with you. Okay. You have I three love stooges. The stooges. I've got a picture of Mo that looks Mo with gray hair that looks like Mo did forty years prior to the gray hair that he signed to me. I have a letter from Larry Fine that he wrote to me, which is Larry from the Three Stooges. Are you a, are you a Three Stooges fan? Satney. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. My Satney. Certainly. Yeah. Remind so, me to kill you later. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, I have these memories, right? And I have some political pins and things like that that I want my kids to either keep and enjoy or at least least give it to an expert to appraise what it's worth so that I can benefit from that passion. And you've said so much here that I want to 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 go back and dwell on a little bit. The one the one point you made I'm not sure everybody got. There is Medicaid that's available if you run out of money to pay for your skilled care. It may not be the same place you'd want to go, not that it's a bad place, but I'm just saying, you know, some some places take Medicaid patients and some don't. So but but if you if you have money, there's a good chance that you will never have to be in skilled care. And many people are shocked to hear. Obviously, you know this because you deal so much with seniors. But a lot of people think that all these people in skilled care are all there because they need that really high level of care. And the reality is that anybody in the industry will tell you that the reason that there are a lot of people in nursing homes, and I've heard people who've worked there to say 50%, that sounds high to me, of people that don't have to be there, meaning they're there because they can't get coverage to stay at assisted living because assisted living under traditional plans is not covered. It's not covered while well, they're making some changes, but but still not covered through Medicaid. So so the only if you're broke, you get pushed into some sort of skilled care facility. And so there are a lot of people there that are there because they're broke. So oddly enough, this at, on the occasion that we're talking about the house, probably the single largest source of liquid funds, I think pretty much without question for at least 50% of the people out there. I mean, you know, traditional pension plans, that's, that is a, a source of regular income, but it's not a pot of money, and those are pretty much going away. So, so the house is, is this critical, critical thing that you're counting on to determine the quality of your life. Right. So then the question is then, if I may, how do we get the most out of the house, right? Because that's, I think, what a lot of people want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how can we do it quickly? So th- three ways of selling the house. You sell it retail. It's move-in ready. It's ready to go. It's a $100,000 house. You can get $100,000 for it, maybe a little bit above. Wholesale, which is the complete opposite. It needs some fixing up. It's worth a hundred, but probably needs twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars worth of fix up, if not more. Plus, an investor is going to want to make some money on it, so they're spending forty to fifty cents on the dollar for that house. When yeah. I when that situation comes up, and we need to, the house needs a lot of work. We either then bring in three or four wholesalers and get them to bid against one another and, and bring more money in, which helps. Which helps Meaning tremendously when they're when they're, bid, when they're bidding competitively. At least you know you have a better number than if any one of those three or four walked in the door. Right. First of all, I know how much it's worth. Okay, I can do the math and I know what it's worth. And then the investor, I call the investor and I said, Mr. Investor, we're having a cattle call. It's what I call it. We're having a cattle call at this house from 11 to noon on Friday. If you're interested in seeing the house, come see it. And there's four or five people that I typically ask because I know that they're going to pay more than the other guys and gals are going to do, um, and they're going to close. The first thing they say to me, how much do they want for the house? I said, it's not how much they want for the house. It's how much you're willing to pay for it. I know how much it's worth. I'm working for them. I'm their listing agent. Sometimes even prior to doing that, you may say to me, I had somebody look at the house and I got an offer. I said, great. Don't tell me what it is. Put it in an envelope close it up, and that's your bottom line. I said, if I can do better than that and bring you more, including my commission, because I will earn a little something on doing that, then we'll go with that investor. If not, we'll stick with your person and your offer. I will cost you absolutely nothing, and I'll help you facilitate the paperwork to make sure that things are done properly because I think that's the right thing to do. So, that's how confident I am in my ability of getting more than that one person is going to offer them for investor. the house. Now, so, I've missed once oh. on that. Well, wait, okay, and and I do like the idea of the sealed envelope. So the scenario often is that people do need money fairly fast, 
as an example a while ago. So something's happened. Um, they need to, to move mom or dad into some sort of another place. The question becomes, they have, we know they have to take a discount from what the house would ideally price for. So the question is not whether or not you, the, the, the representative of your mother or father, should be willing to take a discount. You're going to have to take a discount. And I want people to understand that. When anytime you sell something fast, the market value for something in the next 30 minutes is a little lower for real estate than the market value for that same property over the next six months where you can list it and let a thousand people come and walk through it. So I want people to understand that that when they decide to sell that way, you have my my criticism about the analogy to the pawn shop is not not that people aren't getting fair price. It is a fair price to take a discount. And and all of you should know that if you do have to sell something quickly, you are going to take a discount. But your argument is that discount should be nowhere near what they're ha- what they're hearing from Correct. these. Yeah, so someone will say, I need to sell it really, really quickly. I'm going to bring somebody in, and if I get a decent cash offer, I can get it closed in 10 days. I'll say, you know what? You probably can get it closed in 10 days. Go get that offer. I'll bring in four more people who will also give us an offer that can also close in 10 days, maybe 11 or 12, but close just as quickly, and I bet you I can put more money in your pocket even after you pay me a little something. Are you willing to do that? And hopefully they'll say yes because they know that not only will they get more, but they'll have a licensed real estate agent and advocate making sure that the paperwork that's being done is right. Who yeah. knows what paperwork that particular investor is yes. using? Is it a standard board of realtors contract? Is it is it weighed more towards them versus me? Uh, is it proven? So, you know, that way I can at least look at it and say, yes, it's a fair deal. And again, I'm not getting compensated. Are they going to put down earnest money? Right. And who holds the earnest money? There's so many different things that that – to me, if someone's willing to underpay and severely underpay for the value of a house and not blink an eye about it, they may not be as concerned about the paperwork work being being balanced either. So that's where the advocacy comes in. I will suggest, however, that if you need to sell quickly, there are some alternatives that you can do. There's some third-party funding that you can do, but m- most – I would say most, many senior living communities will give you a little bit of latitude in regard to when you pay. If you're going on a month-to-month basis in a senior living community, they may give you a little bit of rope before you have to make your first installment payment, knowing that the because, house is going to be marketed and on the market. Right. You can show them proof that, that you own this house, you own this home and- maybe a listing agreement. Correct. And it's active on the market. So though we may be very tempted to sell it to an investor and still be very tempted to let Ted help you with that, I might suggest to you, you know what, this house is really not an as-is home. This house really deserves to be exposed to the marketplace, let the marketplace determine what the value is, and I guarantee you it's going to be more than what that investor was going to pay you. And if for some reason it's not, you can always go back to the investor. Many investors don't want to buy a property that was listed because that hampers their ability to flip it to somebody else because they know what it didn't sell for. Okay, so they're always – they often will ask, has the home been exposed to the market yet? And and translation, the question is, has it been listed? Correct. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. that hampers them a little bit in regard to what they're able to do. So again, they are – investors, I think, are um, necessary at times, not as often as they're being used. And there are – I say there are smarter ways of going about selling a home to get the same effect but make more money. Yeah, and you know what always cracks me up, Ted, is you'll see those signs when you're at a stoplight at an intersection and and you've got, you know, some – poster board hanging on a pole and, 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 you know, someone took magic marker and scribbled, you know, I buy houses fast, you know, and whatever. And and I'm thinking, how can you, how can you take somebody seriously that puts up such a, an unprofessional looking? Well, but people call and then there are other people who are really professional and, and really step it up in regard to their advertising. And again, credible people, some of them are licensed real estate agents and they make a living out of buying homes from people who, who want or need to sell them quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a convenience, and I get it. I still suggest, though, you can do better if you have somebody representing you and knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and and that that deserves repeating, that um, it's not that it's inherently wrong to be somebody who offers people cash for houses, you know, uh, you know cash in 24 hours for a house. It, it's just that historically, the people who've been in that for a bit, for 
uh, living. They, if they were just not, in my opinion, people I'd want to do business with. That was historically. I, I'm sure now that, and maybe some of you watching this will know somebody who you think is perfectly ethical uh, and and who is in that business. So they they are there, and you know some because you you said these are people you would go to and have them make offers on for some of your clients. Absolutely, um, there are there are a handful of folks that I go to. I think are beyond credible, lovely people who are actually servicing older adults, seniors as well. That kind of hang in some of the same places where I hang, looking mm-hmm. to pick up properties. And and they are they're fair offers that they typically make, and they're licensed, and they're good, credible people. There's and, no question. What do they do with the properties? Do they sell them or do they turn them into rental properties? Most of the folks that I refer to are paying enough for the property. Thank you very much. Because I'm, by the time I get done with them, they're paying more for the property. We joke about it, right? Because I'm trying to get as much as I can out of them. But they're paying enough for the property that they're going to, in turn, they, flipping it's going to be challenging for them to do. They're going to fix it up. And a lot of them are really want to do that. They are rehabbers of sorts where they will go in and they'll gut out kitchens. They'll totally redo homes. Let's just say they buy a home for 300 They put 150 into it and sell it for 550 or six. Okay? Mm-hmm. To me, they're earning their money. They're taking a huge risk. Yeah. And spending a lot yeah. of money, uh, I like that all day long. So everybody's winning in that particular situation. But it's the ones, though, who – and most of the guys who I've known who've done that were flippers themselves. So you imagine the markup, uh, markdown, is that you know they're offering a price where they can actually – they know people they'll go to and, and resell it. And, and then that person may do the fix-up. I mean, so there, there's – they're being bought at such a discount that there's such an opportunity to to make money. Let let me let me ask uh, this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about a point you raised a while ago. Is that sometimes people are too quick to conclude that they don't want to do anything with the house. And I understand during this environment. And so I don't want to base this on how difficult it's been the last two years because we know that's going away. I mean, all this that we've been experiencing, just like everything else. It's going to go away. And the fact that you couldn't get anybody to come paint your house, you couldn't get anybody to come to do hardly anything without paying a huge premium, that that I'm pretty confident will be gone in less than a year. So assuming normal conditions, you can hire people to do things. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I have a, a cousin in, in Louisville who we uh, – a dear woman. Her husband died. She's older. And uh, – and her daughters have suggested to her that uh, that this house, which is in a nice neighborhood, and Louisville's a little less expensive than this market. We'll say it's a house that's worth, I'm sure, I'm guessing maybe three hundred thousand or so. Nice house, and um, she lives there by herself with her two, maybe three dogs, uh, two of whom are old, and uh, and have lost lost bladder control if they ever had it. In oh. the last, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm experiencing that in right the last now. five years. So <laughs> yeah. you have this carpeted house. Oh no! And so her daughters are saying to her, and they live out of town. Mom, you need to go through and really fix that house up because you're going to be moving out soon. She's like 87, uh, maybe 83, and she will be. I mean, she'll probably be. Uh, moving into, I think, assisted living probably in the next few years. Uh, and she said, well, her answer to her daughters is, no, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sell it just the way it is. And I'm telling you, my wife and I have stayed there. And the, there is a smell. You're still washing your clothes three years later. Yeah. I'm telling you, here's how bad it is. I have a dog, and she's a wonderful lady. I have a dog, Scout, which you yeah, know. Sure. Yeah, sure. And so Scout is perfectly behaved. You know, she never has gone in the house since within a month of my having her, right? And she's like seven years old. She went in that house. And wow. you know why? Smart her territory. She thought, that, oh. she thought, oh, obviously this is a place Outside. where dogs right. go. I mean, it's that bad. It's it's so bad. And and so she, her plan is to sell the house as is. Right. And um, and I suggested to her, not being an authority on the subject as you are, and I'm curious what you're going to say. I told her, I said, do you think it wouldn't, that maybe your daughter's right, you should probably go ahead and do that, assuming that the dogs are not permitted to be in the new area. And she said, well, I don't think it would make any difference financially. She said, I can spend the money now 
and and then amount that money. And she said, why should I do that? So assuming the dogs are not going to continue paying right. on it. And tell tell me what advice you would have for her. Well, I say, A, if you do it, you'll probably enjoy your home more, and you might as well spend the money and enjoy it. Um, that's Her that's guess little... would, I assure you. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The, um, the thing that I find is that some homes start to get in such disrepair because of lack of maintenance and, mm-hmm. and, and upkeep that it severely impacts the value of the home. Uh, and even if that's not the case, uh, selling a home today, it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated than it used to be. And I have a situation right now in a home that I had listed in Chesterfield that the owner, who was a friend of mine, basically said, I'm not doing a darn thing to it. I did some updates, but we're living in the house. This is the way it's going to be. We're not going to stage it. We're not going to update anything. It is what it is. And the pictures mm-hmm. reflected that. So mm-hmm. when we listed the house and I wanted to, my suggestion to him was leave the house whenever you're ready. No rush. Get out of the house, make your move, let's empty the house, let's tweak a couple of different things here or there, and then let's stage the house professionally and let's have professional pictures taken. When you do that and you do it well and you price it appropriately, which we did price this house appropriately, people will come and see the house. The first time they see the house is online on the internet and if they like it and they're well there, they're going to come see it. Well, you know what? Our showing suffered. We didn't get a single offer in two weeks because of, um, I guess, uh, lack of traffic to a certain extent. Well, it was dark and it just, it did a little bit of updating, but not a whole lot. A lot of it was updated, but it still wasn't staged to how we've conditioned buyers today. We've done such a good job with staging and HGTV and all those things that buyers have a certain expectation and they won't even come in and see it if it doesn't look a certain way. And even if they do come in, if it's not exactly perfect and if they can't and it's not moving ready, then they're starting to to uh, not come or not make offers. So we know when we price a house within minutes, whether we've priced it appropriately and whether it looks good, because we'll start to get showings right away in a decent market, okay? And that didn't happen here. So I knew and, right away. And so um, you would then say that it's probably a good idea if you can spend, say, 10% of what you think the price of the house is going to be to take a house that's 30 years old in terms of decor, and maybe spend 10% and update that decor? It depends. If we're talking older adults and seniors, what I have found is that most older adults don't see anything wrong with where they're living. They love it. They've been there for a long period of time. Avocado is going to come back, right? <laughs> okay. Maybe so, not in their lifetime. Yeah, but but. It's, if it works for me, it works for them. It's the I wallpaper. It's everything that. else. Exactly. I, I loved my avocado refrigerator when I was growing up. There you go. So eventually it will come back. But those are those are the things. So it, it's hard to um, to sell somebody on the idea of where they've been living is not perfect to begin with or not practical for somebody else to come in. Somebody else will see beyond it. And that is not always the case, but it's also insulting to infer that it is. So there's that fine line in regard to how you go about approaching that conversation. And, and, and it's got, but that conversation has to happen. And, and I know what you're saying is true. People, um, if anything, gain pride in their house over time. At the very time that this, this um, uh, uh, I won't say obsolescence, that this uh, degeneration of fashion is going down. At the same time that it's, that it's losing its appeal, uh, their pride is growing, and so you you go look at a house that somebody's owned for twenty five years, and I can I think we can safely say to anybody watching this, I'm telling you, if you've not changed your decor in twenty five years, no matter how proud you might be of it, I promise you, people l- looking at that house today are going to think they don't that looks old. Right. I have a client right now who was referred by a senior living community. She lives in a nice house with an adult daughter. The adult daughter is moving out. And this woman was going to move to a senior living community, which was maybe not the most ideal situation for her. And I think she realized that. But the point of the matter is, is that the house was dark. It was not restyled at all in terms of staging. You don't, you know, even if you're not going to enhance this or enhance that, because a lot of what she had was updated. But when things look dark and you've got green carpet and you've got knickknacks everywhere and all those things, and the pictures turn out looking terribly, we had 19 showings uh, within about a week and a half period of time, 19 showings. 
not one offer. All the feedback had to do with it's dark, it, the carpet, the backyard, all these things which we really wanted her to either take care of before she listed it or at least let us do some things after she moved out. And my recommendation to her initially was make your move to your new home and your home isn't ready. Make your move. We'll have the house emptied out. We'll open up some things and make – she didn't want to hear from that. Because but sometimes the money's an issue though. The right? money may have been, but that wouldn't have cost her very much. The money's really the issue in regard to what she's going to be able to sell it for now because it's already been exposed to the market and she's not getting anywhere near what she needs to get. Right. The bigger picture with her is that the fact she was so insulted with some of the feedback that she received on the house that she decided to throw in the towel. She withdrew the listing, signs out from the yard. She's currently saying she's not going to make a move because she was insulted that no one liked her house. That's how far mm. it went. So and yeah. I feel as though I failed. Okay, I, this is a, a listing that that one of my people handled. I kind of stepped back. I needed to be more involved in it, and 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 maybe could have salvaged it a little bit. And and we we had the conversation when she said to us, uh, "I don't want to move." I said, "We understand that you don't want to move, and we're fine with that if that's what you truly want." But let's just go think back a little bit about some of the reasons why you did want to move. She didn't change her mind. I said, "That's fine." I don't have a problem withdrawing the listing. We'll still be here here if you need us or when you need us. But if you're going to stay put, let's put some things in action in action here. Let's do some things. Let's get you an Amer- a medical alert um, pendant so mm-hmm. that if you fall again, you have a way of getting help, help. because your daughter um, is not going to be here any longer. And oh, by the way, if you fall in the basement again, your daughter's not able to go down to the basement because she's in a wheelchair. So oh. how long is she going to stay there? So sure. I said, let's enhance some lighting. Let's take care of some throw rugs. If you're going to age in place, and I have a certified aging in place designation, I'd love to help you do that and, so that when you're ready, you can help. And the thing is, though, and we don't want to... We, I, we don't want to discourage people who want to do that because I think probably majority of people do want to do that based on the people that we've talked to. Stay put. Stay put. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, they do. But, but, you know, there is a price to pay. And as, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, they're adding adding these holding supports. Uh, they're adding the, the staircase thing, that, right. the chair that chair goes lifts. up. And, chair lifts, yeah. I mean— which pulls down the value. I'm telling you, uh, it, it's hard to hear if you're a senior, but but when you sell a house that has been seniorized in that way, um, it really requires retrofitting to resell it. But but I get it. I get it. If it means that that's the way you get to stay where you are, that's what matters because it's your house and it's the rest of your life. So who cares that? Uh, these other things. But if you do do that and then you decide to sell it a year later and because you've decided that you're going to move into some sort of facility, then, you know, those are the sort of things that unless you're selling to another senior. Which, what the are thing. the chances of that happening? I'll tell you that story. Here's the story. Older couple, I list their house in Chesterfield. They're moving to Friendship Village. Beautiful place. Oh, it's a great place. Beautiful place. Um, they're so excited. The conversation goes something like they had a chairlift that was put from their main floor to their lower level for one purpose in order to help them lift the laundry basket from the lower level to the main floor. He said to That's me— That's interesting. I never heard of that. He said to me, should I remove it or should I leave it? Is it a selling feature? I said, I think the odds are very, very slim that someone who's going to move in here is going to want that. <laughs> he said, I'm going to leave it. The person who bought it said one of the reasons that they bought it was because the chairlift was there. And that— You never know. You never never know. know. But it was done tastefully. It was done professionally and all of that. So I guess the bottom line is if you want to stay put, which I understand, which I will encourage and help you do, you can come to the Senior Learning Institute website. You can call me. I've got professionals, and I know you've talked to other professionals who do this full time that are really good at what they do and will do it right to make sure that you can stay safer in your home. So that's certainly an option and one that I encourage. I know and, I'm going to want to stay in one as long and, as possible. And that's the nice thing. That, that's one reason you're on this show so much is that that you, you know, the way you earn a living is helping people do what they want to do, which can include staying where you are as well as selling it. But I wonder, though, I mean, with with so many people, though, they're, they're expecting to get these numbers that they've read about in the newspaper. Everyone 
expects their house to have gone up a lot. That's on the news. Right. You know, at least at least every three days, there's there's some discussion on the news about the inflation. So sometimes it is a matter of of managing those expectations. Otherwise, you have an unhappy client who who fully expected to be one of the recipients of these crazy numbers that they're hearing people are getting in selling their homes. Right. Well, uh, there are some agents, and I've seen a couple of these just very recently, of homes that were listed below its market value to drive traffic to open houses. And one, one agent did it very, very well the other day where I went to an open house in Baldwin. It was priced at two ninety nine. The house was at least a three and a quarter house, probably three forty, maybe even three fifty. They had, I'm telling you, fifty people waiting to go into this house on a Sunday from one to three. I was there because one of my clients wanted to see it. We offered well above list price, didn't get it, and we were a, a non contingent cash offer, and we still didn't get it. Um, so oftentimes. The market will dictate, I guess my point is, the market will dictate what you're going to end up selling that home for. Even if you undervalue it, it's going to sell for more nine times out of ten mm-hmm. because of competition and supply and demand. If you list it for more than what it reasonably can sell for, you're going to end up selling it for much less than what you would have had you priced it appropriately because it's going to sit and it's going to linger. It's going to get stale, and you're going to start chasing the market and lowering the price to the point where you're not going to be happy with where it is. So my job as a real estate agent is saying, look, I've run three automated valuations of your home. They all say it's worth, and I'm looking at one tomorrow for a friend's daughter, 248, 247, 249 is what they say this house in Maryland Heights is worth. I think based upon those three, I'm pretty darn close to what it's going to be. Then I ran the numbers to see actually which homes in that area that are ranch homes within a quarter mile and a half mile radius of this house have sold for with a finished lower level, without a finished lower level. And the numbers came in that it's worth even a little bit less than what that automated valuation says that it's worth. But you can at least come really, really close to what the value is. So if I present that to a homeowner and I might say – the first conversation, I say, Joe, what's your house worth? And you might say, $2 million. Or you might say, I don't know. That's why I called you. I've had somebody say that to me and I, mm-hmm. we just laughed about it, right? But I'm trying to find out what their expectations are. So they might say, you know, I think it's worth this. I said that would be a phenomenal number to get and I hope that we can get that. But if it's okay with you, why don't you let me show you what some of the homes in the area that are similar right. to yours have sold for. And this is within the last three months, two months, 30 days, whatever that number is going to be. And I will lay it out for them and say, this is what I think the house is worth based upon the finishes and everything else. So let's just say we agree to disagree on what the value is. Then as a real estate agent, you have to make a determination. Do I want to take that listing and fail? Do I want to take that listing and maybe still do well with it and maybe I undervalued it? And I've undervalued a home once or twice. The market helped compensate for that, uh, which is great. But oftentimes what will happen is the agent who comes in may give you the number that you're looking for because they're looking for the listing which is not ethical, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I think it's worth. We can agree to disagree. Some agents will walk away. If that number is just out of sight, some agents will say, you know what? Uh, We're not going to see this um, on the same level as, uh, you know, as to what it needs to be for us both to be successful here. Why don't you go ahead and do what you need to do? And then if it doesn't sell, please call me back and I'd love to help you. So yeah. some some agents will do that, and, and I, I highly respect that. It's very difficult to turn away a listing, but some people will do that. Right? Well, yeah, and and um, and I think people know that that if people really want their listing, there is an incentive for them to come in and give them these high numbers, uh, and you do need to be leery of that because the 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 listing agent figures the most important thing. Some listing agents figure the most important thing is to get the listing, and they'll deal with your disappointment later. Um, so reputation's important with, with, with realtors. Oh, and one other thing, tell me that, uh, or talk a little bit about the importance of, of a realtor's role in terms of pictures and whatnot. I mean, I, as you suggested a while ago in your example, people are really moved by the pictures they see, whether it's on Zillow or a realtor site, you know, they go through and look at those pictures and that determines, I think we all agree, it's probably the primary reason other than location, whether people are going to come and look at it. And, and I know realtor, I've seen realtors who will take their iPhone out of their pocket. Granted, iPhones have pretty good cameras, so a lot better than they used to, but they'll go through the house 
in what even on a cloudy day, and they will quickly take pictures, and that's what ends up getting posted. And I I know personally from properties we've bought. I mean, the difference in having a professional do it. I mean, talk a little it's bit a about that. Difference. Well, yeah, there's that wow factor. It's a, it's a several-phase process. The first thing is the restyling or the staging of the home, which I'm a, a firm believer in. Restyling means you have the existing furniture in the house, and you pare that down a little bit, and you um, you move it around if it needs to be, and you get rid of some certain things and make things look uncluttered. And I bring somebody in, and most of my listings, who does that as part of the service that we offer to restyle it. The other one is staging, which is basically the house is empty, and let, let's say you've moved. It's kind of like what a new a new home builder would do. They bring in professional staging. They bring in furniture that fits right. They put, hang mm-hmm. posters on the wall and pictures on the wall. And, it and you pay beautiful. a fee for somebody to you, furnish your house correct. for a while. And let's just say staging might cost you two or $3,000, sometimes a little bit more. But it's a great investment because the first price decrease that I'm going to ask you to take is probably going to be five or ten thousand dollars when the, when it doesn't sell because it doesn't look good. So staging is really really important. Not everybody buys it. I think not doing restyling or staging is short sighted. But once you have the house looking good, well lit, and everything else, then we bring in a professional photographer um, and makes the house look good, but not deceiving. Oftentimes, what you'll see is wide angles that makes a room that's 10 by 10 look like it's 20 by 20. And if you look at it carefully, like in the kitchen, you'll see a refrigerator that's normally 30 inches. It looks, looks like it's 60 inches because it's stretched. So you don't want to be deceiving in the I've pictures that yeah. you take. deceiving pictures. Well, people walk in and the first thing they say is, this, this looks nothing like I saw online. Yes. Right? And, it's, and, and it, it backfires on you. So the key is to get realistic pictures of what things look like. Yes, they look a little bit nicer sometimes than what that kitchen floor might look at, and you can tell the difference, but little things like uh, paint colors. you got one room that's purple, one room that's green, one room's got wallpaper in it that looks like a zebra. Whatever it's going to be, that turns buyers off sometimes. So sometimes you have to have those conversations with your sellers and say, you know what, if you invest a couple thousand dollars in paint and maybe taking down that wallpaper and paint it neutral, it's really going to open things up, make the rooms look bigger. So there's an art to that, but that's probably a whole other conversation in regard to how do we prepare homes. Yeah, yeah. And and we'll kind of close on that point, but I want to emphasize that. It's it's really in the category of almost selling it as is for you to still be willing to do the minimum things that you suggested. I mean, apparently it's not any longer cool to have a bunch of knickknacks sitting out and even family photos. A lot of people, yeah, it, it has some psychological effects uh, here uh, on people looking at houses. So You're trying it, to get people to move in, right, and picture themselves in the home. You're selling something, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you see some stranger's picture, wedding picture, or babies on the wall, it just doesn't connect. You may see something on a tabletop that may offend you. Yeah, that and, the homeowner loves, or but political you're saying, views. In I the can't bookshelves. live in that house because he has ABC on the wall and, and political right. bookshelf. I mean, I, you see these books out that. So I mean, it's just these are things. This falls in the category when I say as is. I mean, these are the these are things that if you are going to sell your house without doing a lot to it, uh, but still listing it, we'll assume uh, these are things that are must. I mean, there's just no good reason to not do the things that you mentioned where if it's as little as moving some stuff out, not necessarily staging the whole house, that's a big decision. We did it and it paid and it was the right decision. We've done it more than once uh, personally. So I know staging, I think staging makes sense. Uh, But even if you don't, I mean, you have to be willing to listen and, and take some stuff away and put it somewhere, which is easy to do. I mean, you know, a lot of what's what some people would call clutter. You wouldn't call it clutter. Uh, but but some people might. So to be willing to take that stuff and, and listen to a, an experienced realtor when they tell you this has got to go and and maybe repainting a few rooms, I put that in the category of as is because it's so easy to do. It's not a big deal. And, and you should be I, – I think you should be willing to spend the money to do those things. Now, I get it that other things like redoing the kitchen, bathroom, that's a conversation. But it shouldn't even be a conversation – if, if you walk into a house and you see that they have these odd colors that can be fixed by somebody with a paintbrush in a day's time, two days at most, I mean, those I put in the category of kind of as is. So be prepared if you're going to sell your house, though. Hire a, a, a realtor that has experience 
obviously we think highly of, of you, Ted. That's the reason you're on the show a lot. And again, we don't have financial relationships with people that we have on this show. So that way we, we can be utterly frank and honest with you. So, uh, I think you've had some great advice and, uh, I hope that, uh, I hope that it, our viewers listen to it and it proves beneficial to you. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.